according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Philippians chapter 2, picking up where we left off Sunday morning in Philippians chapter 2, talking about hope and trust and faith and all those good things. Hope and trust and faith. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. That's verse 19. And he repeats it in verse 23. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And so we've got a tandem here we've got to deal with, with what we see, what we don't see. And, uh, and then how do we trust? How are we persuaded by the Lord that I myself will also be coming to you shortly? That's verse 24. So I want to pick up right where we left off and take it from there. Before we do begin, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to, uh, to lead us in our study tonight. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessings we have to assemble tonight, and we call upon Your faithfulness to superintend all that is done, to hedge us about, to protect us, to, uh, to bless our study, to overcome the uh, technology that is thwarting us tonight, whatever else you want to have happen, Father, we are uh, in your hands. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We can take a few moments for questions if there are folks that want to have questions, and I guess that's a reason to run a microphone so I can hear the questions that are asked. I'll have to repeat the questions, though, so that uh, they get put on the recording up here, but... Um, there was all right, Lewis. You get our first question tonight. Yeah, this was with, uh, in regards to Ephesians one twelve. Ephesians one twelve. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm trying to make sure I have a good handle on um, the use of hope and the first to hope. Um, it seems like they might be talking about the Jews, but I wasn't really exactly sure. All right, Ephesians 1.12, this is, uh, so the question is, and in case this didn't get put on tape, what is the question? Is, uh, is the first to hope people, those first to hopers, are those the Jews? Is that what we were talking about and part of the, you know, the, the plan of God? Oh, no. No. Um, because this is this is the the tremendous passage from verse three all the way down where we're we're talking about our position in Christ that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ right that's that's up in verse three and it just launches from there so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Israel never had that. No Jew ever had that in the Old Testament. That was not a feature of Old Testament salvation or their stewardship as, as a part of the, the dispensation of Israel. And so the things that then follow is all a part of our positional truth in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Everything here is a church age reality for you and I as members of the body of Christ. And uh, including the the uh, the destination where we're headed to the view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times we're looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells also we've obtained an inheritance 
has nothing to do with Israel's inheritance. That's a land grant. It has to do by tribe and, and things. We've got a much greater inheritance that we, are, uh, uh, that we have obtained, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. And so I view this as all centered in the church, but yet looking forward to uh, those that were, are going to come after us, tribulational saints, millennial saints, fullness of time saints, that from now on we're going to have people getting saved that are going to be hoping in Christ. They're going to be born again to a living hope, like you and I are born again to a living hope. And that, uh, that never happened in the Old Testament, but that happens for us today, and we're just the first of all the groups that will ever experience that. So tribulational saints, when they get saved, It'll be to a living hope, and they're going to uh, be hoping in Christ. And, and millennial saints, when they get saved, are going to be born again to a living hope. And so, because you remember, in the Old Testament, they, they, their sins were covered, but not removed. That's why they didn't go to heaven when they died. They went to Abraham's bosom. That uh, in the Old Testament, they were saved, but the, the sin of the world still had to be dealt with by the Lamb of God. And, uh, and so, when they did get saved, also remember... They didn't have an advocate seated in victory at the Father's right hand to intercede on our behalf, the propitiation for our sins. So, does that make sense? Yeah, it's curious because the turn of who we was and the first to hope was a perfect partners for faith. So, it kind of threw me off as to who we is and it's finished. It's perfect that he's finished. So, there is. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of we's. In him, we have redemption. He lavished on us. He made known to us. Uh, we, us, us, us. I mean, going all the way back to verse 3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So that defines who the, who the us and the we references are there in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, that has nothing to do with Israel. This is all the, the royal family of God in Christ. All right, so I appreciate that. We had another question, too, that was asked. This, that's what it was this morning on Ephesians 2.8 and the common misunderstanding that certain schools of theology fall for when they read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And here's the problem, is that um, there is a school of theology that wants to make faith the gift that God gives us the faith and makes us believe. And so under Calvinism, that's how he makes it happen because we can't believe that we're so depraved. There's no one who can accept the offer. There's no one who can believe and until he makes us believe. And what they do, they, they defend it with a flawed uh, grammatical uh, understanding of this very verse right here. And so when we read this, for by grace you have been saved, in the Greek it's tegar kariti esta sasosmenoi, so it's, it's a perfect passive participle. By grace you are having been saved ones. And, and when you read through this, understand, um, we're, we're crippled, I think, as English speakers because our language is not gender-driven, uh, right? Uh, but, you know, speak Spanish sometime or French or German or I don't care, uh, Greek, Hebrew, whatever. You're going to have Italian, yeah. You're going to have languages. You're going to have nouns. And you've got to match that noun with your adjective. You've got to match that noun with your pronoun, right? So if, uh, if, if uh, you're talking about, you know, a feminine noun, like a casa, uh, then you've got to have a feminine adjective. You've got to have a blanca. You've got to have a, a, a you know, that's white house. And, and you've got to match them up. 
You cannot have a, mask, a feminine noun and a masculine adjective or a neuter adjective, see, if, if you're dealing with a language with three, with three genders. So uh, masculine, feminine, neuter. So when you're reading through this, for by grace, that's a feminine noun. Charis is a feminine noun. You have been saved through faith, pistis. It's a feminine noun. Okay, so we got two feminine nouns in that verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that... That's a pronoun, right? What's that? That's the pronoun. And it's a neuter pronoun. It's not a feminine pronoun. And so if it was a feminine pronoun, then we would look back and we'd actually have a little bit of a, a discussion as to whether, well, it's a feminine pronoun. It could apply to either grace or faith. They're both feminine nouns. And then we'd, we'd decide most likely it has to apply to the closest one. If you have a that, it's generally connected to the closest noun. And so we would decide, well, between grace and faith, faith is the closer noun, and so that feminine pronoun probably refers to faith. But it's not a feminine pronoun. It's a neuter pronoun. And there's no neuter noun anywhere in that verse. So we recognize then that it, that the that refers to the whole clause, the whole sentence. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that, that system, that provision, that mechanism, that design, see is not of yourselves. You didn't invent that design. You didn't create that design. It's not your design. It's the Father's design. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. So anyway, there's a, that was a question we had this morning as it relates to the gender of those nouns and the, and the gender of that pronoun. And so don't, uh, there's no, uh, there's no uh, gender confusion in the Bible like there is in our culture today, all right? We, got, we have... Masculine nouns that know they're masculine and feminine nouns that know they're feminine and neuter nouns, all right, that know they're neuter and neuter pronouns, okay? And uh, it's, uh, it's as simple as that. So that had been a question that had come up this morning and wanted to make sure we were clear on that tonight. All right, anything else then? I can give a last call. Carol, you had one? Get a microphone there and I'll still repeat the question anyway. The microphone is so people in the room can hear. Yes, ma'am. Just a quick clarification. Is salvation a neuter noun? Soteria? No. Okay. Well, there is no salvation. It's the you have been saved, says Osmanoi. Yeah, I was just thinking that salvation is sort of the, all that by grace you have been saved through faith. And so that's, that's kind of the definition of salvation, isn't it? That was a neuter noun. It kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, no, it's actually, it's not, a, it's, this is not the only place either. It's very common in the New Testament where a neuter pronoun that, that thing, it can be used to encompass a concept, a broader idea that is the totality of several things that are being spoken of. Thank you. Yeah. We do the same thing in English, too, by the way. We talk about that thing, you know, and it's just kind of a, a capsule of, of a whole lot of other stuff. So, all right. Anything else then? Last call. Going once, going twice. Pray for Kevin. Pray for our computer. <laughs> Windows did a major update. We found out we turned on the computer this morning and it said finished with the update and everything looks great. And then we, we tried to record our message and it does not look great. So ever since they updated our sound card, no, they updated the operating system. And now our uh, audio grabber is the program we use and it no longer talks to our sound card. So, uh, all right. Yeah. I'm still talking to you guys, though, so that, that, that didn't change. We can, uh, we can go from there. 
All right. We had a big point on Sunday, and I'm going to get right back to it. And in fact, if I reteach everything we did on Sunday, um, some folks would hate it, but I think it'd be useful. Okay? Um, because we have hope, and we have what we don't see. And that's the point. It, you, nobody hopes for what they already see. And we hope for what we don't see yet. That's why it's called hope. Okay? And it is a positive anticipation, and it is... It's not a, a wishful thinking and it's not a, a hopeless thing. You know, I hope I win the lottery. Well, the statistical odds of that are ridiculous. Um, you know, you're going to get struck by lightning 200 times before you win, win that. Um, but the, uh, the, the hope that we have is for what we don't see. Faith is then a mechanism by which faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, and so when we talk, oftentimes we talk about what we can't see. Well, then we're operating on faith. Well, Second Corinthians five, we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, so when we don't see, we can still walk by faith, and we're trusting in God because God's the one who sees. He sees it all, and He sees what we don't see yet, which is great, because uh, just judging on what we're looking at, there's uh, there's not much there to hope in. <laughs> okay, but uh, this is how it all comes together. So. Uh, I put this together and I, I labeled it as main point four. Faith is what equips the believer to operate hopefully apart from seeing. Faith is what allows us to operate hopefully apart from seeing. And really it comes out of this text here when we see the hope in verse 19, the hope in verse 23, but it says, as soon as I see how things go with me. All right. So there's a hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And then there's a hope to send him immediately. So how does shortly become immediately? Well, shortly becomes immediately as soon as he sees what he's waiting to see. Okay. And so until he sees that, then he's still kind of in a, in a suspense. He's in a suspended mode. He's in suspense where he's, the decision's been made. He knows what he wants to do. And he knows what he wants to do in the Lord. But he still has to wait until he sees the last thing that he's got to see, how things go with me, the, the things of me. So he knows exactly what it is that Timothy is going to go and tell him. Okay? And so this waiting to see, and as soon as he sees, that's, that's key. So when he says, as soon as I see, that indicates that Paul's decision is already made. Pending a last moment adjustment as per the will of Jesus Christ. Because it might be as soon as he sees what's going to happen with him that he realizes, oh wait, that plan won't work. i got to do this instead. Oh, I'm getting ready to die. I can't send Timothy to Philippi. Timothy has to stay here and take over the, the Ephesus ministry or something of that nature. Okay, Whatever might change based upon what he finally sees becomes uh, becomes the issue. And so while we are hoping and while we are waiting and while we are waiting to see, then in the meantime, what are we doing? We're walking by faith because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is what we do as we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is what we do as we listen to the teaching of the word of God. Okay. And all of that comes out in this point. So, it equips the believer to operate hopefully apart from seeing. And in Romans 8.24, it's kind of a no-brainer, but this is it's, it's kind of a, a duh, kind of a no kidding. 
Um, in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? Right? It makes no sense to hope for something that you already see. Or you hope for something that already happened. You know, it's like hoping as if, you know, uh, approaching your 27th wedding anniversary and then uh, hoping she says yes when you propose. Well, that's dumb. You proposed 28 years ago and she married you 27 years ago. So we're past that now. We're not hoping for that anymore. Who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Okay, And this is how faith carries us across that bridge. This is how faith enables us. as that assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's what we want to get to. We want to get to the conviction so that when we see it, it is truly a faith conviction. And it's not just simply wishful thinking. It's not just simply what I want to happen, okay? Because all too often, and I may, I'll tell you, I'll just preach to myself tonight, all too often we substitute what we wish for. And then we say, well, I believe God's going to do that. You don't believe God's going to do that. You're abusing the word believe because faith is in the word of God. Faith is in God and his provision. And we want to be clear on that as well. All right, 2 Corinthians 4.18 just very quickly with ooh, for my Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. And we should be familiar with all of these things. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we got two sets of eyes. Our physical eyes can see the visible stuff, but our spiritual eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we're, we're looking to him. Hebrews, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Same principle. We're going to use our spiritual eyes. We're going to use our spiritual eyes. And that too, that right there, that by itself can become a witness. It might be that our unbelieving friends and family members and loved ones and neighbors, and they may, they may be looking at us and say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> what are you doing? They don't understand how you make the decisions you make. Because they're not looking at the same thing you're looking at. you got your eyes fixed on the Lord. And they're looking at the things that are seen, which are temporal. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gain approval. So this is not unique to the church age. Every, every uh, believer is always walked by faith. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, on into the millennium and, and forever, believers will always walk by faith. The, the advantage is, though, is that we walk by faith from a heavenly perspective, that we're seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ. We have a positional truth reality that is already operating in the heavenly realm. All right, so where does faith come from? How do I get more faith? What if, what if I'm trying, I really want faith to, to, to you know, carry me across that bridge, and I really want that faith to equip me to operate, hopefully, but you know what? My faith is lagging. My faith is growing weak. And if my faith is growing weak, what happens to my hoping? I may stop hoping. I may just give up on hoping and say, well, that's enough of that, right? And decide, well, God's not going to do it. I'm going to take care of it. I just take matters into my own hands. Okay? I mean, how long did Abraham and Sarah wait to have a baby? And then finally they just stopped waiting, didn't they? They stopped hoping. 
And she said, well, here's Hagar. You can have, make a baby with her. And Abraham was like, uh, okay, sounds good. <laughs> Didn't twist his arm very hard. <laughs> but see, they weren't. See, what happened? This is what happens. We've got to continue walking by faith. And if he's not yet showing us, that's his good pleasure. Thank you, Father. You know, I really wanted to see the answer today, but I accept the fact that today is too soon. And your wisdom is better than my wisdom. And you're far more patient than I am. So, Father, uh, thank you for not providing too soon in, uh, in, your, in your perfect timing. All right, faith is a response to doctrinal clarity. Romans 10.17. People lose sight of this. Romans 10.17. Faith is a response to doctrinal clarity. We're told, so then faith comes from hearing. And this, this again is a passage that has a whole lot of no-brainers. It's like the same idea that nobody hopes for what they already see. The same, thing, the same kind of obvious things are expressed here as well. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You can't. And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? You can't. How can somebody believe in Jesus Christ if you don't tell them about Jesus Christ? Where are they going to hear it if you don't tell them? And so uh, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? If you're, if you're keeping your Christianity top secret, you know, lips sealed and, and you never, you know, talk to anybody about the Lord. Well, how are they going to hear? And so... Uh, how will they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So uh, we want to be ready. Have our feet shod. Be ready to go forth and give that gospel. Anyway, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. Okay, I think Christ is the better manuscript issue there. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In any event, that's where faith comes from. Is your faith growing weak? Are you like that man? And the Lord said, uh, you know, he said, oh, Lord, I do believe. And then he said, help my unbelief. <laughs> okay. I think that's all of us. We're walking by faith, but, you know, we could have a stronger faith, couldn't we? And where does that come from? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so to build you up in the faith, to strengthen you in the inner man, takes the word of God. That's why we've got to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. That's why, you know, if, if, if you, if you, uh, have a lifetime of, of, of a gym avoidance, uh, there's, there's evidence of that in your physical fitness or whatever other shape you're in, okay? Because round is also a shape. But the, you know, if, you, if you're avoiding the gym, that, that has effects. If you're avoiding Bible class, that has effects. What happens to your faith if you're not taking in the Word of God? Yeah. You actually are spiritually malnourished. Okay, so faith comes from hearing. It is a response to doctrinal clarity, a response to doctrinal clarity. And the more you're living in the word, the stronger your faith's going to be. The less comfortable you are with the word, it doesn't take long. You talk, just strike up a conversation with somebody and you find out very quickly whether they're familiar with the Bible or not, whether they're comfortable with the Bible or not. All right, so it comes as a response to doctrinal clarity, and it removes all doubt. It removes all doubt. 
Romans 14, verses 22 and 23. See, if you, if you advance without clarity, if you advance without conviction, if you advance without that, that assurance that, wow, this is it, then that's, the Bible says that's a sin. Because you're advancing without faith, you're advancing on a doubting basis. So Romans 14, 22, the faith which you have, have is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And so, I mean, what a conviction, what a blessing. There you have an issue and you've been wrestling with it. You've been praying over it. You've been pouring out your soul in prayer and you've been studying about it. And you've been thinking about this and thinking about that. That's great. And you're under teaching and you're coming to prayer time and you're praying with your spouse and you're praying with your pastor and you're just wrestling over it. And then just, I almost said out of the blue. It's not out of the blue. It's from the grace of God, from his throne. We turn to a Bible passage, we read, we read a principle and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And you're like, oh, okay, I get that. The Apostle Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago for me, right here, right now. <laughs> All of a sudden, that verse just springs to life, and it resonates. This is how the objective Word of God comes to a subjective conviction, and it just resonates with your human spirit. The Spirit communicates with your human spirit, all right? And all of a sudden, it just locks in, and you go, thank you, Lord. That answers it. That's, that's what I got to do. That's where I'm going to go. That's what, that's what this is doing. And so then you can proceed with that conviction. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Man, you can launch forth from there and, and never look back. You, and just not, not have a second thought, not have a regret, not have a second thought, not have a, uh, you just go forward. You know, when I was convicted that, that my gift was pastor teacher and my calling was to, to study and teach the word of God, I would, I'm not going to doubt that any more than, than I would doubt my salvation. When I knew that, that God had provided Sharon to be my helpmate, there was not a doubt in my mind. See, I'm not, I'm not going to start to doubt that or wonder and try to make a right decision. And you know, See, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to stop what you're doing and get you to kind of reflect back and start to wonder, well, maybe, was that right? Was that wrong? Should I, did I make a bad mistake? Can I fix that now? Can I undo that now? You know, compound it by making another mistake to try to fix an earlier mistake to try to, oh my goodness. There's, there's no place for that. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. We just proceed forward and we say, thank you, Father. Because guess what? We made that decision on a faith basis. That's his business. We're moving on. <laughs> We're moving on. When you ask for a fish, he's going to give you a snake. When you ask for a loaf of bread, he's going to give you a stone. You've, you, you gave him all these decisions in prayer. You said, not my will, but thine be done. You said, Father, if this is wrong, then, then close the door and show me. Keep me from, from making this mistake. And instead of closing the door, he threw it wide open. He, re, he reinforced what how... how uh, Certain you can be of, of this as his will. So say, thank you, Father, and move on. But he who doubts, and that's verse 23 there, he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So I tell you, if you just, if you just give up on God and give up on faith and just decide, you know what, 
I'm going to do this now and whatever happens, happens. That's not faith. That's almost uh, defying faith. That's like fatalism. That's like saying, well, you know, God will work it out. Yeah, he'll work it out by disciplining you for being so disobedient. You should know better. If he's not making a will known, then wait. Watch and see. Stand fast and see the salvation of our God. And so that's the aspect there. So this is what Paul's dealing with. And he's doing this, right? He's doing this. And we have so many applications to make, as I pointed out. You know, when, when will the day come that the, the Lord will put Lewis in a pulpit and put Lewis in a local church? Well, God knows. And until then, until we see it, we keep hoping. And faith gives us that assurance. Of the things we don't see yet, we just keep hoping. And we keep waiting. The same thing with Bill. The same thing with... It's the same thing I'm doing right now with my dad. What are we going to do with my dad? Anyway, I'm praying about that. All right. And until we see... <laughs> and you got to be honest about what you're seeing, too. Because if he shows it to you, you can't act like, oh, well, uh, I didn't see that. <laughs> okay. you got to... If you should be seeing it because he's showing it to you, right? Because if you don't, you're just doing the Balaam thing. Because Balaam was told he couldn't curse Israel and he had his answer. But then when, when Balak doubled the salary, Balaam said, well, maybe I didn't see that right. Maybe, uh, let me go ask again. Okay. No, there's no asking again when you know what it is. Okay? Don't act like you don't. All right, so as soon as I see, it indicates Paul's decision is already made pending a last moment adjustment as per the will of Jesus Christ. All right, now, on to the next point. Even before Timothy's mission, Paul considered it necessary to return Epaphroditus to Philippi. And this then bridges us across and gets us into verses 25 and following. So there's a lot of things up in the air. When can Timothy go? When can Paul go? He's persuaded, it's not believe, it's, it's persuaded or trust that he himself will also be coming shortly. But even that, who knows when that's going to happen. But then he says, I thought it necessary. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because... He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And it goes on. There's other details there too, but let's just fix on these, these early, early principles here. Um, so, so he has hopes. He's waiting to see. He's got a decision. It's kind of pending. He can't do it immediately. But one thing he can do immediately, not only can he, but he kind of feels like he has to. Immediately, right here, right now, when he finishes writing the book of Philippians, he's going to roll up the scroll, hand it to Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus is going to carry it to Philippi. That's a decision that he's come to. Okay? And it's a have to. It's a have to, or at least he thinks it's a have to. All right. So, I love Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has five titles. Epaphroditus is uh, just an amazing, amazing hero. And we know very little about him except for this chapter. Uh, in these verses here, and then in chapter 4, we get a little another clue about Epaphroditus. Uh, so between chapter 2 and chapter 4, we've got everything we know about Epaphroditus. 
Okay. Some people think he's also known as Epaphras from other books. Epaphras is a different person. He's a different person. It's It's a nickname. It's a shortened form of Epaphroditus. The short form is Epaphras, but it's also a very common name. And, uh, and there's no reason to, to merge those two people together, uh, p- particularly since Epaphras was a minister in Colossae and Epaphroditus, his background came from Philippi. And uh, that's, a, that's a whole different direction. Epaphroditus has five titles. And on Sunday, we took the time to just remind yourself all those greetings in, uh, in Romans 16, Romans 15 and Romans 16, you got all those greetings. And Paul will typically say, you know, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, or greet Urbanus, or greet somebody. And he will greet somebody and he'll describe them with one, one description or maybe two descriptions. My, my kinsman and fellow worker or my fellow prisoner or, you know whatever he'll the first convert from asia he'll he'll have one thing to say about a particular person phoebe you know she's a deaconess of the church of st korea and and he'll have one thing to say or two things to say very unusual to have more than that here there are five things that he says about epaphroditus okay five things wow that's there's no i I, i've been searching i'll keep searching i can't find anything else that's comparable to this nobody else is described with five titles like this so, um, and like I say, it's a fairly common name in the, in the uh, Greco-Roman world of this century. It's, it comes from, it's a masculine form, but it comes from uh, Aphrodite, you know, the goddess of, of love and beauty in uh, Greek uh, mythology, Greek paganism. Uh, so uh, Epaphroditus would be uh, upon Aphrodite, you know, calling upon her for whatever. Anyway, um, whether he's a good-looking guy or not, that's what the name means. <laughs> he's handsome, okay? And a lot of times names just reflect the wishful thinking of the parents. And uh, maybe he was handsome when he was born, and who knows how it turned out in his older years. Anyway, he's called brother, he's called fellow worker, he's called fellow soldier, he's called messenger, he's called minister. And uh, this is the only slide you're going to get on this, so we're not going to get bogged down in, in all these terms. But Adelphos, we know. Who doesn't know Adelphos? A-D-E-L-P-H-O-S. Strong's number 80. Uh, that's brother. Sister is Adelphae. Uh, the Adelphoi, plural, for brothers and sisters. Uh, Philadelphia is the brotherly love principle that we've studied also. And this is what we have. He's my brother. And, uh, and, and as we look at these five things, uh, pay attention because it's, they're really divided into two camps. Uh, my, my, my. Your, your. Did you notice that? All right. So I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. So that's the my, my, my. Who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So these five different uh, titles, five different descriptions, three of them relate to Paul, two of them relate to them. So who has a bigger claim? (laughs) If it's a tug of war, if it's a tug of war between Philippi Bible Church and Ephesus Bible Church, and, uh, you know, both groups want them. The saints in Philippi want them to come back home. Paul wants them to stay there because he's been a faithful servant and a faithful brother and a faithful uh, fellow worker and and a fellow soldier. All right. Anyway, it's necessary that he goes back. That's where they come to. All right. So we have Adelphos, brothers in Christ, and we understand that. 
fellow worker, soon ergos, and of course ergos for work. We got ergon as a thing for work. The soon prefix links it together as a together, a fellow worker. It's that uh, we do a lot of soon, uh, soon and soon prefixes that we do in English, right? We do, uh, we, if we soon are my chronos and we soon your, your chronos, then we are synchronized. We are soon chronized, right? If we assume my pathos and your pathos, uh, my pathetic, your pathetic, then we are sympathetic, okay? That's the sum togetherness, okay? And there's tons of them, tons of S-U-N or S-U-M. And they, English, the U's become wise for sympathy or, or synchronize. But to, to uh, soon ergonomic, that's what it is. Soon ergonomic, working together. All things work together for good, okay? And Paul and uh, Epaphroditus work together as fellow workers. And there's a number of folks in the Bible, you can find them, that are called his fellow workers. And that's, that's not a bad title. I wouldn't mind having that title. How to be a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and then also a fellow soldier. It's also the soon prefix, but it's in front of stratiotes. Stratiotes, where we get strategy. A stratiotes is a soldier. And uh, someone that is engaged in uh, combat operations. And uh, again, there's a handful of people that are called Paul's fellow soldiers. And, uh, and, and sometimes they're a little bit of overlap, sometimes it's not. And uh, people are called one and not the other. But Epaphroditus is called both. A fellow worker and a fellow soldier. So if you want Strong's numbers on all these, Sun Ergos is 4904 and Su is uh, 49. 61. And so those are all the things that Paul connects to because those were his connections, right? You ever, you ever talked with somebody about somebody else and then you realize, oh, wait, do you mean, and you realize you're talking about the same person. You just didn't realize it because to you, they're such and such, but to them, they're such and such. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's funny sometimes when you learn, oh, wait a minute, we're talking about the same person here, aren't we? Okay. Anyway, so to Paul, brother, fellow worker, feather soldier, to them, he's their apostle. The word for messenger is apostolos. It's not angelos. It's not any other term that we could have for a messenger. It's apostolos. He's called an apostle. So that takes some work. All right? Because uh, it is. Uh, 652 is the strongest number, apostolos. And we've done this many times. The verb is apostello. Uh, of course, we know Paul's an apostle, Barnabas is an apostle, uh, but there are, there are different kinds of apostles. And uh, for folks that don't take the time to break that down, they get in trouble because there's apostles of the Lamb, there's apostles of Christ, there's apostles, there's different kinds of apostles. Epaphroditus is an apostle of Philippi, apostle of the Philippian church. He's not an apostle of the Lamb, he's not an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll discuss that as well. Okay. And then finally, a minister. Lots of different words we could use for minister as well. We could use servant, we could use bond slave, we could use uh, deacon, we could use, uh, there's a lot of different expressions, doulos, diakonos, um, a couple of others that are escaping me at the moment, like four or five different words for, for minister, for servant. Okay, But this one is leitergos, leitergos. And uh, L-E-I-T-O-U-R-G-O-S, Leitergos. 
And it's interesting to me that uh, what a tandem to be. T- I never had never recognized that the Philippian study and the Hebrew study were going to blend as well as they are. But uh, but they do blend as well as they are because liturgos is a priestly ministry. So when we talk about ministering. And we're talking about Jesus, the great high priest in Hebrews. And we're talking about Aaron, the high priest, and how those priests will minister to men on, for, in things pertaining to God. That's what Latur, uh, Laturgos is about. It's, it's, it's not a, a slave labor, and it's not even a, a deacon service, table waiter. It is a spiritual priestly minister, right? And even in English, we talk about the minister, right? The 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 clergy the pastor and he's called the minister which is goofy because we're all believer priests in the church age we all have ministry um in any event liturgos did you grow up with a liturgical church maybe right you you have a a catholic background or a a lutheran background or methodist or uh, anything that was liturgical right do you know what that even means liturgical that means they have the color-coded robes (laughs) With the uh, drapings and the, the wall hangings and the and it, and it changes with the Advent season, all right? Because they're liturgical, and they're following the liturgical calendar and they're reading from the lectionary and and it doesn't matter. Every Lutheran church in the world has the same Bible reading because they're using the same uh, liturgy, following the same um, the same order of service and the same calendar, the same liturgy. Okay, so this is the Greek word where we get the English word liturgy, and it is liturgical service, the spiritual service of worship, the service that we all should be doing that, uh, by the way, shows up in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know the passage I'm talking about? Um, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Well, how do you do that if you're not a priest? Presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual liturgy of worship, your spiritual liturgos of worship. And so that's, this is what worship is. This is what liturgy is. This is what we do as believer priests. All right. And so this is Epaphroditus with these five titles. And so three of them apply to Paul, two of them apply to the, the Philippians. So it seems to me, majority rules, three beats two. Uh, Paul's got a bigger claim on Epaphroditus. Unless, of course, clearly, in the will of God, Jesus directs Epaphroditus to go elsewhere. Okay, And uh, this is, uh, in particular, you know, we have a training ministry. We'd love to keep Cliff and Terry here, but the Lord takes them to Lost Pines Bible Church. You know, we'd love to keep Dan and Stephanie here, but the Lord takes them to Corpus Christi Bible Church. You know, and all kinds of folks that aren't here anymore, and where are they? Where the Lord's taking them. Okay? And that's what happens. And uh, and then other folks who would love to be elsewhere, but God hasn't opened that door yet. So we're we're still praying, we're still looking, we're still hoping. And when that day comes, that day comes. All right. So this is uh, this great Hebrew, uh, this great hero here, Epaphroditus. Now, as an apostolic messenger, as an apostolic messenger, Epaphroditus was commissioned to bring Paul's financial support from Philippi. 
there's a little bit of a background and you got to kind of read between the lines and then you got to kind of even have to go forward to chapter four to get the rest of the story and then bring it back now into chapter two. So you have the background for why he's called an apostolos. Why is he called an apostolos? Okay. Does that mean he's like Paul? He's an apostle. He's seen the risen Lord. He's, he, uh, he has the authority of an apostle, the power of an apostle and, and so forth. No. All right. The noun itself, by the way, is, is a noun that's older than the New Testament. It was used in classical Greek. It was used uh, of, of Navy admirals. It was used of other uh, ambassadors and representatives. Uh, the idea of apostello is different from the idea of pimpo for sending. You can send just on a general basis and you can, uh, angels are messengers. But the difference between being sent or being a basic kind of messenger if, if you're just relaying a message that's not yours, you're a messenger. But an apostle is something else because an apostle not only is sent, the apostle carries a commission. And when the apostle is on the scene, he's there representing the one who sent him. It's as if the one who sent him is also right there. So an apostle of Jesus Christ stands as if Jesus Christ himself is right there. That's powerful. We call that a representative authority. He stands there and it's as if he's in the name of Jesus Christ. It's as if he is Jesus Christ. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, commissioned by Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, my message is not my own. I've come to, to speak by, uh, by the one who sent me. The one who apostelloed me, Jesus says. And then he goes on to say, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And he sends his disciples out. He calls them apostles. And they are his. They are commissioned. They represent him. When they're speaking, it's as if Jesus is speaking. Okay? That gift is over with, by the way, today. We don't have apostles and prophets anymore. We have pastors and evangelists. And a pastor in a local assembly is held in the right hand of Jesus Christ. A pastor today has delegated responsibility. Not or delegated authority, not representative authority. You understand the difference? I hope you do. <laughs> All right, because I am not an apostle and make no claims to being an apostle as it relates to that. So, um, so when we peek over to chapter four, we see the background on this, and um, he says in verse ten, "But I rejoiced." Past tense. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, they were praying for him. They loved him. They wanted to help, but they couldn't. The budget was tight and they were not in a place where they could send funds. We get that. He says in verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So you went through a thin season and you weren't providing financially. Paul says, I'm not complaining. That's fine. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Either way, you need to process the doctrine to live accordingly. You need to operate biblically in both cases. And he calls it a secret both ways, right? So what's the secret of being rich? <laughs> okay, wow, because money solves all your problems. And if you just had all the money in the world, then you'd never have a problem ever again. 
Well, no, you need to learn the secret <laughs> of, uh, of these abundant circumstances, of having abundance, of prosperity, how to live in prosperity, biblically, in grace. And this is where Solomon blew it, where almost everyone blows it. It's a tough test. The prosperity test is always harder than the adversity test. He goes on to say, and this is, by the way, this is the context where I can do all things for him who strengthens me. It has to do with accepting the will of God financially with abundance or with short or with whatever he wants to do. I can do all things. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So he was thankful. Now that you have the opportunity again, thank you for that. And they have koinonia sharing fellowship in the affliction. You yourselves also know. I mean, they had a background for this. That of the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. When he got to Corinth, there was a low point of his mission. Of his mission. Second missionary journey, he, he crawled into Corinth, uh, he said, uh, in weakness and in much trembling, is how he described it. And his whole team was scattered. He had lost uh, Luke, and he'd lost Timothy, and he lost... Uh, 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 Sylvanus and by the time he's in Athens he's by himself and he preaches that great Mars Hill sermon and his whole team was scattered he was all by himself in Athens he preaches the Mars Hill sermon they're laughing at him over the resurrection so he goes on into Corinth and what now you know he finds a couple of tent makers okay I guess I'll do that and uh, resumes his tent making business but then Timothy and Silas rejoined him. Not only did they rejoin him, they had cash from Philippi. Said, hey, Paul, the Philippians love you. They're supporting what you're doing. And it just, man, took off again. Took off from there. So if you want more on that, it's Acts 17, Acts 18. You can read those chapters and you'll see that whole story. And so uh, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Even in Thessalonica, now that was a Macedonian church and they were positive to doctrine. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Thessalonica had their own problems because um, they had to post money. To, to, to the, Some of their church funds were tied up in uh, promising uh, the government that Paul wouldn't come back. <laughs> okay. Uh, the rabble-rousers drove them out of town. And, and uh, the, the host, of, of the host uh, his name was Jason, by the way. How about that? Jason had to uh, pay a bond, had to post bail for Paul. And uh, which sometimes I call anti-bail. It's the backwards of bail, right? You were posted bail? I don't tell, I don't want to know. But the the... the when you post bail, you're promising the judge you're going to come back for your trial. And so you put forward money, and that money is the guarantee that you're going to come back and face trial. And then he says, okay, you don't have to stay in jail. I trust you'll come back for trial. And, and, and the money is the guarantee that you're going to come back for trial. Well, the, this is the opposite of that. In Thessalonica, he had to put money up there to say Paul wasn't coming back. That he was leaving town and staying, you know, get out and stay out. Kind of a thing. Anyway. I think I've described that before too. So uh, you've heard that before. Um, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself. I mean, it's nice to have the cash, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. 
that that's more blessed to give than to receive. And in the Philippians were were abundantly rewarded by the Lord for their grace towards the Apostle Paul. And uh, that, this is something, again, the, un, the world doesn't understand. Unbelievers don't get this. Why, why do we give in grace? Why do we give freely? Why do we give in, in love for Jesus Christ? Why do we give, see, how, how, do, how does Austin Bible Church pay its bills? Because our Father supplies. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. And here's the biggest clue. Receiving from Epaphroditus what you have sent. He is the commissioned apostle. He is the one that they commissioned and entrusted. And, and he came to Paul. He was the one entrusted to bring these funds. A fragrant aroma. Again, book of Hebrews. What are we learning about fragrant aroma? What are we learning about sacrifices and the, what goes up before the, the Father's throne? An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs. Singular, by the way. Cross off that S on the end of needs. It is singular. My God will supply your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They won't get hurt because they supported Paul. When you're giving in the will of God, you're not going to suffer for it. As he, if you're in the will of God and giving as he leads you to give, well, then there you go. He will supply all your need. So um, Epaphroditus was commissioned to, be, to bring Paul's financial support from Philippi. That's why um, he's called your apostle. Your apostle and your liturgical minister. This does not make him an apostle of Jesus Christ by gift and office. And uh, I listed just 2 Corinthians 8.23. I think there's other. We can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We can turn to a lot of other places to see this. But 2 Corinthians 8.23 is another example. Um, he talks about people that he sent to Corinth. And he says, as for Titus, uh, let's see, we've sent... Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, I guess, if, uh... all right, so he's going to send Titus, verse 16, thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. Paul said, if I hadn't commissioned him, he'd have gone on his own anyway. He wanted to see you guys again for some reason. Okay. And we've sent along with him the brother whose fame in the gospel has spread through all the churches. And tons of legends on who that was. Okay, Could it, could it have been Luke? Was he Titus's brother? And a lot of legends and whatnot. Not only this, but he's also been appointed by the churches. Appointed by the churches. So the apostles of Jesus Christ are not the only apostles out there. If we commission somebody and send them from Austin Bible Church, we, we could technically call them the Apostle of Austin Bible Church. And we would be biblical in the sense of Epaphroditus and these guys, uh, but it's not the most frequent way the word is used, and there might be a misunderstanding on the part of folks when they get there. <laughs> so let's avoid the misunderstandings. Uh, appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. 
okay, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, um, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift, especially when you're handling money. People get touchy and it's, it's sensitive and then you want to be honorable and you want to, you want to, uh, everything has to be out in the open and above board. We have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. And we've sent with them, so that's Titus and the famous gospel brother. We've sent with them our brother, our brother. And of course, the we, I think, is Paul and Timothy in this regard as co-authors of 2 Corinthians. But we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are apostoloi, apostles, messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. And so I think what the New American Standard did is they rendered these two verses with messenger instead of apostle. Uh, I think that they made an interpretive decision in that regard to, as a translation issue so that not to blur the, the concept of, uh, of an apostle of Jesus Christ, as an apostle by gift and office, as an apostle that was, you know, founding the church and representing Jesus Christ and, and writing books in the New Testament and, and all the things, okay? And so um, it's not a, even, notice I put a capital A on the slide for apostle with a capital letter because that's a big deal. Apostles of Jesus Christ by gift and office. Um, Epaphroditus would not be it. And beyond these two references, there's another obscure one in Romans with Junius. And, uh, the, but they, sometimes they get called apostles, and I think that's, that's wrong as well. Um, but they're outstanding among the apostles of what we're told. Romans 16, 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. And it may be that that's another expression that's used kind of of Titus and Epaphroditus of a, of a more generic understanding of apostles. I think that they're outstanding among the apostles, that they have a reputation among the real apostles, and, uh, but they themselves are not apostles. Anyway, there's literature on that too if you want to track it down. In particular, because no one can agree on whether Junius is male or female. <laughs> okay. And I think, I, my suspicion is, I, I think it is a feminine name, but the, the spelling is ambiguous. Like when you're, when you're calling, uh, when you're talking to Chris, you don't know if that's a Christina or a Christopher. And then you find out, oh, Chris, Chris boy, Chris girl, right? Junius can be the same thing, masculine or feminine. And, uh, but the feminists really want that to be a girl apostle. They do everything they can to turn her into a girl apostle, and it's uh, it's just uh, it's a it's a linguistic issue. And so you look at the manuscripts and you you deal with it. All right. So as an apostle, apostolic messenger, this is what Epaphroditus was commissioned to do. As a server minister, Epaphroditus performed his priestly ministrations on Paul's behalf. As a server minister. Epaphroditus performed his priestly ministrations on Paul's behalf. Now, this is huge because we have brothers and sisters in this church that are under a conviction, one at least and possibly more, that uh, ever since we taught spiritual gifts and started teaching all these different gifts, the server minister gift is one that has sparked some thought. 
And wow, maybe that's my calling. Maybe that's what I'm called to do. And how is that different from helps? How is that different from other gifts? How is that different from, um, does, does every deacon have that gift? Or are there other capacities that that gift is used to, uh, to, uh, to, to do? All right. Because there are some servers that serve the flock. Table waiters, table servers, deacons, we would call them. And they have a ministry to the church at large. But then there are personal server ministers. Uh, think of it as the, uh, the aide de camp. Think of it as the, the chief of staff. Think of it as the, uh, I was the first sergeant's driver in Desert Storm. Or think of it as, as, as Joshua, who was Moses' attendant from his youth. Think of it as Epaphroditus, who was Paul's server minister. He was there to minister to Paul's needs. Okay, So on Sunday morning when we come back, we're going to address this some more and we're going to see the benefit that this was. Elisha served Elijah. We're going to see there's a whole, there's a whole catalog of these server ministers in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. And uh, it's a pattern. Okay, And it's, uh, it's an interesting aspect to the giftedness and to the ministry that, that uh, occurs in, in uh, the church today. All right. Father, I do thank you for tonight. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for providing the uh, <clears throat> the voice to speak the entire hour and uh, for the uh, recording that we trust is happening and uh, whatever else you choose to do, Father, with uh, with uh, recording desk, computer, and whatever else that's in your hands. Thank you for being faithful. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.